0: Welcome to another episode of Going Back, Back, Back. A few weeks off, but we're back at it. Once again, this is Brian Gay with my co-host, Tom Young. Hey, Brian. Yes, we are back. A bit of a brief
1: hiatus. Brian was sick on the IL. Happens this time of year. Sure was. here in the East Coast. Those temperatures, you know, you get that 60-degree day one day, 30 degrees the next day. That does not have a recipe for keeping healthy. Yeah, or
0: you spend a weekend around a couple sick folks, and uh, you bring it home with you, and you have to skip your turkey day. I uh, hope everyone had a happy Thanksgiving. Tom, how was, your, how was your Thanksgiving? I haven't really chatted with you much recently. Besides the fact that I ate way too much food and thought I was
1: going to get sick of my in-laws, that was fun. <laughs> well, that's what that's what the day's about. Well, when you marry into an Italian family and you start with spaghetti and meatballs before you even get to the turkey, that really leads to Oh, a, my.
0: That's a meal in itself.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was a meal in itself. It was spaghetti, meatballs, some like sausage, I think some pork in there, too. Rolls, obviously. And then you get into turkey, stuffing, mashed potatoes. But wait, there's more. Then you get into the dessert, which was apple pie, (laughs) pumpkin pie, homemade, mind you, ice cream, not homemade ice cream, but the pies were, and then cookies, brownies, like, I was in the bathroom for 20 minutes thinking it was just all going to come up.
0: This is it. Yeah. This is how I am not going to like
1: Thanksgiving anymore, but thankfully that did not happen, (laughs) but we don't need to talk about that anymore. Oh, man. Let's, Let's focus on what we're here for, and that is sports talk. Sure. We love our sports, Brian. And here we are um, set to recap the week of November 26 to December 2nd We'll also touch on the current state of the NBA, recap week 12 of the NFL, look ahead to week 13, an exciting matchup with the Eagles and Niners, obviously touch on those weekly stories. And then also since we haven't been back since the MLB awards were announced, we'll try and get to that tonight as well for y'all. Now, Brian, to start off the show tonight, James Harden, he has attempted only 12% of his shots inside of their restricted area this season. This is a career low by far, so we are on a steep decline. Let, let me break it down for you. 2009-2010 season, 33% of those shots were inside of the restricted area. A couple years later, had a career high at 37%. His MVP season was at 31%, and ever since then, it's just been a downhill climb. 28% a couple years ago, 21% last year with the Sixers, and right now with the Clippers at 12%. So, yes, the James Harden decline is happening, and thank God we do not have to witness it with him as a Philadelphia 76er.
0: No, we won that trade through and through, and it's been pretty awesome because the Sixers have been a lot of fun to watch, including that 44-point shellacking of the Lakers last night.
1: Yeah, the greatest of all time.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's wild. The James Harden fact doesn't surprise me, though, because when you look back, his best years back in Houston, um, he did so much of his damage at the line. So, like, obviously yeah, was he was scoring and, and stuff, but he was going to the line all the time because he knew how to draw a foul. And to do that a lot of time, you got to end up in that restricted area. As soon as they started um, pulling back on those chintzy fouls inside, the playing toward playing the foul to get, get a foul, it really impacted his game as a whole. And he did adapt at least a little bit, you know, last year for when he was here in Philly with the Sixers. Um, I mean, we saw, what, 20 and 12? 20 points, 12 assists or something like that. Like, he had a fine year. It's just like there, it feels like an empty 20 and 12. And now we're seeing kind of what we all knew in LA. Like the guy is just doesn't have it anymore. And he plays for him.
1: Yeah. James is all about James. And at the end of the day, that's never going to change. It's been a broken record. There's a long track record of it happening. That was the word I was looking for couple weeks ago when we were trying to record track record i couldn't think of it <laughs> so i just throw that in there tonight
0: that's fair i mean i think you know as a person there's nothing wrong with looking out for yourself at number one and and only i i understand that but i feel like to be a successful teammate successful athlete and to go on and win those championships you want to win if you really do want to win you have to be able to be selfless Know when it's not your turn yeah, no, when it's no, not your time
1: there's no i in team there is a
0: me but there's no i yeah yeah, but we're not worried about for me, all you no. smart alex out there yeah, that's definitely a line I used to joke about all the time. But, yeah, it just he's one of those things I've said it time and time again. Uh, he's just the guy with – he's the kind of guy you don't want on your team. He's the kind of guy you don't want hopping on your pickup squad at, at LA Fitness. Like, it's just – I don't know. He's he, Sure, he's good. It might be good at what he does, but he's not that good. Because let's be honest.
1: If James Harden was still here, this young kid would not be blossoming into the superstar right in front of our eyes. Oh, you he mean would be Tyrese, Tyrese Maxey. his current stat line 26.6 points a game (laughs) averaging 6.9 dimes just about five rebounds averaging a steal a game almost a block as well and not turning the ball over much at all either only one and a half turnovers a game
0: which i think is he's he's awesome and i think what's really fun to watch about him is that like he like doesn't really look like he belongs out there kind of skinny small dude um just kind of kind of goofy looking little little guy and he's out there balling he's
1: six two, two hundred 200 pounds yeah, ball in. Just, just turned 23 years old about, uh, let's see, three and a half weeks ago. November yeah, 4th was his
0: birthday. He's awesome, and the sky's the limit for him. And and jo- Joel, if he can stay healthy. I think having, what they're doing now and the way they're playing now is boating really well. Um, I actually wish I could I could make more of a point of watching them. I don't go out of my way to do it, and I, I want to because they are really enjoyable the times I have thrown them on the TV. Yeah, I found myself kind of,
1: Starting to go out of my way a bit to watch them because like you said, they are enjoyable. Maxie is very fun to watch. He looks yeah. like he's just having an absolute blast <laughs> yeah, he, out there. He
0: looks like he's having so much fun.
1: Which is a night and day difference to Harden who just mopes back to get back on defense and mopes around the floor and would prefer to be at a gentleman's club than the basketball
0: court. Hey. You know.
1: To each their own, Brian. <laughs> I don't need to talk about gentlemen's clubs no, here. it's
0: not really my uh, not my speed.
1: No you and me both but and b he's off to a great start as well of course i mean he had a triple double last night only playing in three quarters which is awesome in and of itself i think it was a 32 11 11 stat line
0: yeah 11 boards 11 assists
1: so he's only missed one game this year that's a great start and i think the biggest key for the team right now is nick nurse he seems to have really had the team buy into what he can do as a
0: coach i'm a nick nurse fan
1: me too and when they lost last year and Doc Rivers was on the outs, the first person I said that I wanted to coach was Nick Nurse.
0: Hey, look what we got. You love it. Dreams do come true sometimes. And speaking of it, the fact that we have Maxie who's playing so well, but also and then you got Embiid who is leading the league in points per game. Just throwing that out there. Yeah,
1: eleven boards. Uh yeah. Six and a half times. That's awesome. impressive too
0: for a guy at seven foot. See two. now I want to see them try to make a move to bring in one more guy, you know, try to pull somebody like a Tyrese Halliburton out of Indiana. I know that probably won't happen, or they're going to ask way too much for him. But
1: Or get this, we could have just had him originally when we traded Ben Simmons, but that's, a,
0: that's another yeah, time. Yeah. I don't see the hey, Pacers yeah, trading Halliburton. Harden. Especially not now with uh, what they've seen in him.
1: Plus the Pacers, I mean, right now they are 9-7 and seven and way too early 6 seed, but they're averaging 127 points a game. They are a fun team to watch. They jack up so many three-pointers. I think it was them and the Atlanta Hawks. They both scored over 150 points last week. It was like 155 to 152 final score.
0: definitely a different NBA than we grew up watching. That's for damn sure.
1: Yeah, I mean, the over-under on that game to start was like 262.5. Eventually, it got over like live at like 300, and it still blew past 300.
0: That's crazy, dude. I mean, Tyrese Halliburton is third in the league with 57 made threes. Um, Dontrich is two at 61. Tyrese is fourth at 56, actually. And then number one, which I think I find amazing because he's still doing it, Steph Curry. Steph Curry. 80 made threes. He's got 19 more made threes than anybody else in the league. Well, you know who's shocking up there?
1: I don't know where he is exactly, but is Isaiah Joe with the Oklahoma City Thunder. I know. I
0: saw he went seven for seven on threes the other day.
1: That is a former sixer, Isaiah Joe. I mean, 17th in the league and made threes. Uh, he's shooting close to, I think he's around 50%. Uh,
0: yeah, he's made 47 threes on the year at a 48.5% clip. That actually puts him in pretty good uh, territory. So leading the league in three-point percentage is actually Kevin Durant at 52.2%, 35 for 67. That's pretty nasty. It's well, that's
1: just an efficient ball player right there for you. He it's actually it's, cool to see him back healthy When he and shoots, again. you know what's most likely going
0: in. Yeah, Isaiah Joe is actually third in the league in three-pointers made. and uh, three-point percentage, Um Believe it or not, number two and three point in three-point percentage in the NBA right now. Number two is a Philadelphia 76er. Robert Covington. Not even close. Well, not, not even close. He came over in the same trade. Nick Batum. Oh, Nicholas Batum. Nicholas Batum has made 50% of his threes this year, 19 for 38, shooting 55% in general. So it looks like he's taken on a big, more of a, a catch-and-shoot role from what I'm looking at here based on his stats.
1: Which makes sense. I mean, it's... That's the good thing about Embiid. He usually commands a double team, and if you can be that open guy who knocks down that three pointer, a la what they're hoping for from PJ Tucker. Sure. That did, clearly did not yeah. happen. Yeah, and then we struggled run. to shoot the ball mightily. Nick and now Batum. we bring in some Nick Batum <laughs> Covington. You got um, Marcus Mars that came over in the trade too, and then Kelly Oubre, which that's a story in itself that I don't oh, think we've yeah. really touched on. Like we what haven't actually happened there. I'm
0: not. No sure. one really knows. It is a total mystery. Claims he but, got hit by a car. and Now that it came out that. Yeah, and then he there's like no it? video evidence anywhere. Yeah. So in Philly, which is a pretty heavily surveilled city, it sure is, as
1: is any major
0: city. I just mean, like, from the yeah, perspective of the amount of businesses and stuff, there's cameras everywhere on that front. No, we're not living in a police state. <laughs> no, we're not in <laughs> Texas where it's just a rural area like, all over. Dude, who would have thought that I would be like pumped about Nick Batum in 2023? But dude, he's playing, he's playing his role all right for the Sixers here.
1: But this just gets to the point, Brian. Like you said earlier, the Sixers have clearly won this trade, and think they also have two draft picks coming, plus a couple of pick swaps. Yeah, mistaken, yeah.
0: Too. It was yeah. It was a pretty you know all things considered a pretty solid deal. I was not upset about it. I mean, granted, I wanted to see him out, Harden out of town either way, but they got back what felt like a pretty reasonable, pretty reasonable haul. All things considered, especially
1: for what we're seeing out of Harden and the the team started what zero and five or zero and six when they first got him. So it's not like the Clippers have taken off and done like really well either. They're not in the current playoff picture. They are currently the eleventh seed in the Western Conference, sitting at seven and nine.
0: I mean it works out in our favor. And then you know, the the last guy in that uh, acquisition we didn't even mention is Marcus Morris, who I know started off hurt. Now I spend a whole lot from him. he's put up sixteen in two of his last three appearances, so Yeah, he I think he was away from the Clippers for
1: personal reasons. I don't know what those personal reasons were. They usually don't come out, but I was just tired of it. Yeah. Probably. I wouldn't want to be playing with Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who don't well, play all the time either.
0: Apparently he's not super happy here. Uh, at least for, based on the, according to Hoops Rumors, he's not super happy here in Philly because he's playing a limited role. But I feel like that should be expected, dude. You're, I don't know. Just, yeah, at the
1: age you're at, yeah, that point in the career.
0: Oh, well. oh, You well. can't please everybody, Brian. Hey, that's all right. I'm very well aware of that. Um, all right, so, Tom, we got a lot of, lot of football going on. A lot of football. We sure do.
1: Been been a couple weeks since we recorded, but I don't think we're going to go too far back, so let's just stick with week 12 and yeah, that's fine. highlight some Thanksgiving Thanksgiving Day matchups. Everybody thought the Detroit Lions were probably the, well, record-wise, they were the second best team in the NFC, but I don't think anyone had them in front of the Niners, maybe the Cowboys, but not in front of the Eagles either, but they ended up laying a stinker and lose 29-22 on that 12 o'clock game. Thursday yeah. afternoon.
0: I think that was uh the, what, I mean, the Packers, right? Yeah, the Packers took it to them. Uh, the, another, I think that's what I've noticed a lot about football this year and this weekend really showed a lot of that is just how it, and truly any given Sunday or I guess Thursday in this case, because uh, the Packers have laid a number of stinkers themselves. Lions have been pretty dominant, but like, you know, it, it's, any, it's the NFL. It's anybody's game any weekend. You never know
1: what can happen. That's why you play the game. Yeah. But Dallas made no doubt about what they were going to do. They whooped up on the Washington Commanders, 45-10. to 10. Funny how the, all the Dak Prescott MVP conversation hypes back up because he goes out and throws for 331 yards in a 45-10 to 10 route.
0: Yeah, against the Commanders who have gotten whooped on by everybody and traded off their best defensive pieces.
1: Yeah, what, Montez Sweat and Chase Young? Yeah. What do you expect to happen? It's not like you did that against the San Francisco 49ers. I think you're doing what you needed to do. They lost what forty two to ten that game. Who uh, the Cowboys versus the Niners?
0: Yeah, a couple weeks ago. Yeah, it was a uh, it was not pretty. I remember. I can tell you that. But yeah, forty two to ten. That's uh, that's rough. And then that brings us to the
1: th- Thursday night game: Niners Seahawks. No surprise, really. Niners win thirty one thirteen. For the first time this year, we had a Black Friday game. We had the Dolphins and Jets.
0: Dolphins, Molly to them. Jets are really falling apart. Like even Zach that, Wilson finally benched. Yeah. Even that defense I was at, So I was actually at that bills, uh, bills, Jets game, um, the Sunday before this leading into Thanksgiving week and going into it, honestly, didn't feel confident because we'll get into the bills here in a minute, but obviously if you watch them at all, you get why I didn't feel super confident and they lost to the Jets already. The Jets defense is pretty freaking good. Um, they look like they've just disappeared. Um, uh, that's. They lost by 30, almost 30 points back to back, or gave up 30 plus points back to back games within the same week. Just not a good time to be a Jets fan right now, um, especially at yeah, the Zach Wilson mess on top. And now it's seeming like Aaron Rodgers is all of a sudden not sure if he's going to make it back now. No, of course. I, I think don't he know. just wants to be a little relevant since he's out for the season. Yeah, he just wants to stay relevant. That's probably the reason he decided to go to the Jets of all teams because it's the New York media market um, and his. Uh, Frequent appearances on, like, the Pat McAfee show and stuff. Yeah, I think he has a weekly spot, right? Yeah, he just wants to stay relevant. Uh, Aaron Rodgers can go. We don't need him around anymore. Um, Going into Sunday, there was some – I mean, a lot of good football, a lot of close games. Only real blowout um, on the docket was the Rams beating up on the Cardinals, but no surprise there. The Cardinals are a train wreck. Um, Even though
1: they have looked better as a team since Kyler Murray has come back, he doesn't sure. look too rusty. But I think the Rams, they usually play well against him and Holt contain him pretty well.
0: And they sure did.
1: So, um, and- I mean, the one game that was very exciting—I only saw the last couple minutes since we don't have—I don't have Sunday like NFL ticket or anything to watch any game I want. But the Jaguars and Texans. Yeah, that, that really- was a great clash. C.J. Stroud looks like he's probably going to win Rookie of the Year. That I I think he's, he's,
2: he's wrapping locked that in at up this for himself point. at this point.
1: I mean, he's gotten himself into MVP conversation a bit from what you see around the national media, but I would pump the brakes on that one. I don't think he's there yet unless they somehow went out in the regular season and captured like the that. division. Yeah. I don't see him overcoming a Jalen Hurts or a, if Josh Allen can get the bills of the playoffs because he played <laughs> outstanding against the Eagles, but yeah. let's not get there yet. We have <laughs> oh, a couple God. more games to discuss, Brian, and then I'll I'll leave the floor open to, for you in no, a couple no, minutes.
0: Yeah. No, 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 no. I can't. I can't do all that. (laughs) But Before we get there.
1: Brian, we were talking some smack about this team about a month
0: ago, and they've really righted the ship and are a game outside the playoff. That's funny because I was going to – That is the Denver Broncos. I was going to bring them up next too because, yeah, they really have turned things around. Um, It's something they've won like what, five out of their last six or something along those lines.
1: So they are currently six and five and second in the AFC West. I think
0: they're six and five after – uh, they lost seventy to twenty, the biggest shellacking we've ever seen. They've won five games in a row, yeah, including, granted, the Bills ha- freaking gift wrapped in the one where the twelve with twelve men on the field on the uh, yeah, game winning field goal attempt. Yeah, you
1: missed it, and then on the second yeah. try, he made it.
0: But, <sighs> yeah, hey. <laughs> I don't Just sums up my old feelings about the Bills right now, but yeah, the Broncos, awesome. It seems like Russell Wilson is starting to click a little bit down there for them. He's not cooking like they want, like like we all thought he might when he went there. But he does something does seem to be coming together down there for them, and it took a while to click, but something's clicking. It is weird though. He's only averaging two.
1: One, I can't even give him two hundred. He's averaging one hundred ninety nine point nine yards a game, passing wise. Russell Wilson. He's thrown twenty touchdowns, which is good. Only four interceptions set so certainly helps but and then he's taken about 3 sacks a game as he's had 33 so far in the 11 games.
0: I mean, they're one of those teams like the uh like the Steelers who I don't really understand how they keep winning. Like the Steelers are not very good, but they keep winning football games. 7 and 4. Uh, but, I mean,
1: the Steelers they should have won they were facing the Bengals this past weekend, right?
0: With yeah, with uh Jake Browning as yeah, their no quarterback. Barrow, so
1: There goes that division pick we had, Brian. The Bengals are toast.
0: Yeah, they're very much toast. Actually, going back real quick to the first game you brought up, the Jaguars and Texans, I'm very interested about this because this is a division that historically just sucks. And they're very, oftentimes, very irrelevant. Beyond that, like, little stretch of the Jaguars being really good, pretty damn good there in, like, the 2016, 2017.
1: Yeah, with that outstanding defense with Jalen Ramsey. And who else was it down there? Miles Jack. Miles Jack. Jack,
0: Clay's Campbell was part of that, wasn't he? Uh, I mean, they had quite the. it was but, another
1: good corner down there, too. I forget who it was. I don't know at this point. Oh, oh,
0: you said Jalen Ramsey, right? Yes. Okay, that was the first one. Yeah, I don't recall who the other one would have been at the time. But otherwise, this this division has been really irrelevant. So not only cool to see good football coming out of it, but also like this could be one of the next really fun um, quarterback rivalries that we get to watch.
1: Yeah, because we're,
0: we also haven't mentioned the Indianapolis Colts. They're 6-5
1: and five with Carter Mincher, quarterback. Yeah, with,
0: without Anthony Richardson was looking very good behind center before he got hurt yeah dude it's uh there's like a lot of like decent football there's not a ton of awful teams i mean even the giants who are a train wreck are four and eight uh the patriots at two and nine it's really i think everyone just loves to see the patriots suck outside of new england fans would you fire bill belichick
1: yeah i would fire gm bill belichick i would not fire coach belichick
0: yeah i don't i, I think though i don't think he would allow himself to be relegated to not being able to do both right. having done both for so long so i think you have to fire both Um, but I think the thing is he's proven that it's become very clear that Tom Brady was the key to his success because he is not a good GM. since he's had true full power of drafting and everything, they have drafted dud after dud. Um, Mac Jones is a dud. I, I feel bad for him because I think he's in a tough position. Um, I don't, I mean, I don't feel bad for him. He's a millionaire in the NFL. Um, but yeah, I think Belichick needs to go. Um, but, like, I, I'd like to see him stay as long as they're bad under him. It's kind of fun to watch him be miserable.
1: Here's the thing, though, with Belichick. I feel like Robert Kraft wants to see him break Don Shula's all-time winning record as an NFL coach, as a Patriots coach. So it's like, does he fire him, or does he let him ride it out? And I think he's about, like, 15 wins away from that record. And at their current pace, it's going to be another like three oh,
0: years before they break it. He is twenty eight wins shy of Don Shula. Still
1: okay, so he's got another. I mean, at this record, if they keep winning four games a year, he's like, doing <laughs> the math. Seven years away. He's got seven years. Would I mean? I guess it's entirely plausible, especially if they can't nail a quarterback. But this is a big quarterback draft, and the the Patriots they have the third worst record in the league right now.
0: Yeah, they're going to have a good shot at a QB. Um, I'll be very interested to see. What happens with that? Um, I mean, the dude is 71 years old. I'm not sure we see him coach to 78. I mean, granted, if he's on a 4 win per year pace, I don't think they'll put up with him that long.
1: Yeah, I think he'll get to
0: 75 and call it quits. Maybe. I mean. I don't know, man. You know, if the team just keeps on keeping on like they have with the way he's coaching now, they can stick around as long as he wants.
1: Yeah, I know you would love that as a Bills fan. I'm yeah. sure the rest of the AFC East opponents would love that as well in their
0: fan base. For sure. Um, you know moving on Monday night dude a lot of really boring primetime games yeah that well the Sunday night game was just atrocious there was yeah. a lot of missed calls I feel like that's a common that's theme been in a NFL major lately. theme in the NFL lately
1: Like I don't know what the problem is but like and it feels they like I got to clean it
0: up feel like they're not just missing little things they're missing big yeah, like calls play they're missing, altering calls yes Game. yeah I won't say any until you get to the very end of a game cl- calls are not game altering uh, but they're making some really serious drive-altering calls, momentum-altering calls, and just it's bad overall. Actually, going back to the Bills-Jets game, we're sitting there, and there was multiple times in that game where the flag was thrown, and they would pick it up and said, after review, there's no there's no foul. But there was no review. Yeah, after further discussion. Uh, yeah, after further discussion, there's no foul. Um, and then the one that really got me was the first time I've ever seen this. And maybe if it's happened, you just don't see it on broadcasts and stuff. But the at one point the referee goes, "We we did not move the chains after the last first down, so please reset." Blah blah blah. And it was like, "Wait, hold on! The, you didn't move the chains after the first down? There was multiple plays that had happened since, and nobody noticed this. How does that happen? I don't. It's sheer. I I don't get it. There's no oversight. The NFL really needs to step it up and hold these refs accountable." Because it's to the point where, like, it's to the point it's hard not to think that sometimes some of this stuff is being rigged. There, yeah. There is a – that New York does have a hand in it.
1: Well, that, that was a point I was going to make. You're partners with DraftKings, partners with FanDuel, and yep. all these other sports books, and you advertise them all over each playing field. You advertise them all game long during commercials. Like, it does make you wonder, like, the, Sunday night, I remember, it was the Ravens-Chargers game one side had third down, the other had fourth down. I was like, well, what down is it? Yeah. yeah. forgot to change the down on the one side. And then Staley's like, well what the heck's going on here? This says third down, but on the other side it says fourth. So
0: what down actually is it? It's just so in confusion and everything. And it's it's making you trust things less. And honestly, this conversation really does a good job of leading us into that Sunday afternoon game um, that was arguably probably the most exciting game of the NFL season so far.
1: I just can't wait for the 30 for 30 that comes out in like 10 years about how professional sports had uh, some sort of involvement with the sports books.
0: Yes, dude. I think I I think that I've personally been uh, totally against the way that the sports books have inundated the sporting world. It's in every stadium. I was really like – I'm going to Wrigley really was cool, but I was kind of grossed out by the fact that there was a DraftKings sports book in Wrigley Field. Um, everyone's think, getting their cut. I don't know. I just don't like. I don't like it. So to me, I think it's one thing if you're like
1: if DraftKings is sponsoring, like you said, the Chicago Cubs. That's one thing. But to be partnered with the league, I feel like is a totally different. Yeah. and step then, and and then when it. you
0: see teams just beat the spread and stuff time and time again in pretty wild scenarios. Like the Eagles were conveniently a two and a half point favorite against the bills. And it ended up a, a three point game. Yeah. Ended up winning by three. Yes. Ended up winning because by you three. You don't kick the extra point in overtime. Yes. After. Yeah. After there was a, after there were 11 penalties called in the first half against the bills to the Eagles one, um, you know, I'm not, and I'm not going to this game. Like I didn't go to the game. Thank God that would have been miserable between the rain and just dealing with the Eagles fans. I didn't realize how,
1: bad the weather was. No, like, torrential downpour. We were in the apartment all day and I wasn't even thinking about it. Yeah. And then, like I turned the Eagles game on and it's like raining. I'm like, it's raining outside. It,
0: and it wasn't too, too bad around here, but down there, it, looked yeah, it seemed like it was torrential. Um, but the, it was the most lopsided officiating I have ever seen in an NFL game. And it was all a lot of calls that didn't impact the game and then stupid things. Um, uh, you know, the big one being the horse collar slash intentional grounding that was called um, that took them forever to to deliberate. Well, and that
1: shouldn't have... If I remember, it wasn't... They eventually came around to intentional grounding, right? Yeah. It, but it, it shouldn't
0: have been because there was a receiver right there. Yes, it literally right hit there. a guy in the feet. Um, if anything... I mean, obviously, slightly biased as a Bills fan, but like it definitely was a horse collar because, yes, Reddick did grab the front of the jersey, and that's totally fine, but he was not actually pulling him down at that point. It wasn't until he got his hand in the back of the jersey there right. that he brought him down. And that, to me, sucks. Um, I don't love it. And in the end, the refereeing, it always seemed, in my opinion, to happen at points that bailed out the Eagles or killed momentum for the Bills when they were putting their foot in the gas and trying to pull away from the game. But the Bills also made a number of crucial mistakes, missed field goals. There's Um, two missed field goals, right? Yeah, two missed field goals. But meanwhile, Jake Elliott can hit a 60-yarder.
1: That was, that was an impressive kick. Yeah,
0: ridiculous. So I,
1: I was talking about this at work the other day, and I think Jake Elliott is a very good golfer. I'm not saying it had, that had anything to do with it, but I think he rode the wind like a golfer. Like, he put the ball, like, left center of the field goal, hit it lower this way it would ride the wind more it, instead of just, like, launching it, having the wind, like, knock it down yeah. since it was a left-to-right wind. He drew up the cut in his head because he's a right-handed golfer instead of trying to hit a power-like draw cut it right in there, knocked it in from 59 yards. I think that's the most impressive kick he's hit. As an eagle, he has a game winner over the Giants from like 62 yards, a big kick in the Super Bowl. Yeah. To make it 41-33. He's never
0: missed a kick in a game-winning kick or a kick in the fourth quarter. So um, it, it helps when you know you
1: have that. Yeah. Because Jason Kelsey had a false start, and then they ran another play, another false start, so they were 10 yards further back yeah. than they probably should have been. Yeah. So, so props like, to
0: Jake Elliott. I know. And it's, you know, I saw... As soon as the Bills scored their touchdown with like two, like just under two minutes left, I knew that they weren't winning the game because you get. I, I've seen time and time again, especially under McDermott's leadership, I've seen this team um, do that. They get ahead, they they get a go ahead score, and then it comes down to losing at the end of the game or going to overtime where they are like zero and six under or oh and seven under Sean McDermott, and it always ends up being stuff like. And, and this is what it all comes down to. I know there are people out there, friends of mine, that thought I was just being a salty Bills fan when it came to the officiating. I was just pointing out the officiating was awful and very much benefited the Eagles, as it has for a lot of this year. Um, but it really came down to execution by the Bills, two missed field goals. Um, James Cook dropped an early pass. that should have been a touchdown. Gabe Davis and Josh Allen. Um, yeah, they on weren't the on the page. same page. No overtime there,
1: okay. there. And overtime, if he turns right, that's yeah. a touchdown game over.
0: Yeah, and then there's things like, there's a lot of stuff that Bill's fans are really mad at. A lot of us are calling for McDermott's head at this point because we're tired of it. He clearly does not know how to manage a game well. He's too, he's afraid to be, to do the risky play ever. ever. I think that's he's,
1: why Eagles fans love Nick Sariani yeah. and the coaching staff there is because if it's fourth down, they're most likely going for it. If they're in, you know, if the ball's at like the 45, they're going for it.
0: Yeah.
2: Even and, if
1: it's on like their own yeah. thirty and it's fourth and one, they're going to do the tush push, brotherly shove, whatever you want to call it. I bet week. you that's
0: banned after this year because like you can't, you literally can't stop it.
1: it. It well, so that's the thing. Other teams run it and it gets stopped for whatever reason. The Eagles have perfected it, and they are at a success rate of like ninety some percent at this. Yeah, point. it was
0: like ninety four percent. I think they said. uh, Is their conversion rate
1: now? That brings me to one thing that happened during the game. Um, You'll have to help me out with his first name, but Phillips number ninety-seven, I believe. I can't stand
0: the guy, Jordan Phillips. Yeah,
1: Jordan. So Jordan Phillips, he seemed to be the guy that's on your team that you like, but if he's on the other team, you despise. Dude, he's on our team, and I can't stand him anymore because he absolutely blew Cam Juergens up when they went to run the play on one of the first like tush pushes. Yeah, he went like sides and just like way sides.
0: Yeah, so he. Has made a. He ha-
1: seems a bit of a dirty player because he also got into it on another play with Jergens. He too. also,
0: yeah, he was also one of the guys involved in the altercation with the fans after that the game. That was my third point I was going to bring uh, up about him. But dude, so he, so Jordan Phillips is a weird story. So we, he signed with us back early on in the McDermott Bean era, 2017-2018, uh 2017, 2018, and he had a crazy breakout year as a defensive tackle. Had like eight and a half, nine and a half sacks, something like that, and was just a monster. So he went and signed a pretty decent sized contract with Arizona after that. Didn't do a whole lot, came back here. and We were pumped because he played well for us, but everywhere else in his career didn't play very well. And since he's been back, he's just a dick. Pardon my language, but like there's been – it seems to really be this year specifically too. He's been not a nice person. No, yeah. Every game – it seems like every game there's one 15-yard penalty of some sort or ridiculous unnecessary penalty on him. He gets into it with guys when he shouldn't be i really can't stand him he needs to go i mcdermott's all about benching guys when they mess up but for some reason this guy keeps getting a pass one maybe because it's he's six six, three hundred and forty 340 pounds or whatever yeah I mean, he looks like a large human he's huge he's massive there. but like he's he's nothing but he's a detriment to the team at this point and i i don't i don't appreciate it i don't like the guy uh, i don't like what he's doing i i don't i'm sure he's a nice enough guy but i don't like what he's doing it's yeah, unfortunate. All, all you see is the negative stuff on the field because
1: that's what's getting highlighted. And as a Bills fan, you're like, well, this guy's just making us potentially like, lose games because of the way he's acting out there. He's a super personable guy.
0: It seems like he's a super nice guy. Like his personality, he's got a big personality, but like, I don't really care about that as much. I'm happy you are. Like I, if you're a bad guy, I don't want you on the team, but also like I care more about what you're doing on the field than you're dancing and stuff on the sidelines. Get on the field, play hard, play smart, make plays, get off the field. He's not making plays. He's just getting penalties. I can't... It makes me mad. And honestly, all this makes me mad because Josh Allen played arguably one of the greatest... Game, best games in the NFL this year of any quarterback. Um, he played an amazing game, especially for that it was a torrential downpour. He outplayed... In my opinion, outplayed Jalen Hurts. Jalen just came up big and with a with a better offensive game plan than he did in the, in the, grand, end of, uh, grand, uh, the grand scheme. Um, I just... I was really... A, pissed off about all of that and it, to me it was kind of the straw that breaks the camels back with this bill season because they just don't know how to get it done um and it's really disappointing because they have way too much talent to be wasting it the way that they are um really disappointing like they were obviously my they were a pick for me to go to the super bowl a bit of a homer pick josh was an mvp candidate which to me he still could be if he if they go on a run here to end the season um because he is playing amazing football beyond the turnovers he's leading the league in total touchdowns i was gonna
1: say i feel like there is one bright spot that has come out of the past two weeks for the bills even though they just lost this week to the eagles yeah is uh joe brady right yeah they New fired offensive coordinator. yeah they fired ken dorsey
0: and 32 j- points against the jets and now 34 against the Eagles. yeah that josh seems to have some confidence back it's really cool to see um i'm excited to see where the rest of the season goes but like at this point i'm pretty tired of where they're at so i could go on and on about the uh the bills all day i obviously don't want to do that um nobody wants to listen to it so
1: just to recap where the bills are at then brian you have the chiefs they have a bye this week right The yeah. Bills do.
0: so they go and face the chiefs in kansas city Always. We literally have never put them at home. We've played them in Kansas City for the past like four years now. It's really annoying. Yeah. That's another thing. The NFL
1: schedule makers like we can go into a whole rant about that. But <laughs> we'll, we'll keep that
0: short. Our NFL um, conspiracies episode coming soon.
1: Yes. For a podcast <laughs> near you. They then go and face the Cowboys at home. Yeah. And then on the road in L.A. for the Chargers, which can be a quasi-home game since the Dude, Chargers have no home base. I'm
0: so curious about how this is going to work out because both of these teams are so good at losing in the most spectacularly ridiculous fashions this year, and somebody's going to have to do it. Yeah. So, well, I mean, they could tie, I
1: guess. Oh, my God. That'd be unlikely, but I Dude, guess Dude, I thought would be the Bills-Eagles game you know? went
0: up as a tie, and I would have been, like, so – just so sad. So sad. Because at least now – the Eagles losing, I've been getting harassed by people. If the Bills won, I could do a little harassing, and if we tie, then everyone just left with an uncomfortable feeling. Yeah, they say ties like kissing your sister. Yeah, your stepsister. <laughs> All right, so we, then
1: we got the Patriots for you, Brian, yeah. at home, and then finishing the season up in Miami against the Dolphins.
0: Yeah, it's not exactly the easiest stretch of games, especially because you know, I mean, the Patriots beat us already so let's say you go three and two
1: there over those five games if we go three and two the bills don't make the playoffs yeah so that's my point i think you need to go four and one if not five and oh yeah you need to where the standings are right now yeah
0: you need to so i mean we'll see what happens but so with the standings just real quick yeah because i know we
1: are coming up on our commercial break here
0: we're way beyond our normal commercial break that's fine
1: we got nothing but time (laughs) the bills are currently the 10th seed yeah, in the AFC, the Denver Broncos, Houston Texans—that's crazy—are t- in front of them, and then the Colts are the current seventh seed. So tenth seed at six and six. So I think the two teams that will fall out of the playoff race, if not three, in front of them, would be the Steelers, Browns, and Colts. I—I I mean, seven four, seven four, six and five. The Steelers—they like you said—they keep finding ways to win, but I don't think it's—I don't think it's something like that they can keep up to get into the playoffs with a winning record, three games above five hundred. The Browns. They're out. Deshaun Watson's out. The kid that had starting, Dorian, what, Green Thompson, I think his name is, he got yeah. hurt too. So, PJ Walker was the quarterback at one point this past weekend. And then Gardner Minshew. Shane Sykin's doing a great job with the Colts right now, but Jan- Jonathan Taylor just got hurt. He's out for the next two or three weeks at a minimum. Oh, uh,
0: yeah, dude, my fantasy team is not loving this right now.
1: Yeah, you and me both. But, hey, that's for another topic <laughs> for later on in this episode. Uh, Texans, I think C.J. Stroud is doing a great job like we touched on earlier. I yeah, the Broncos, for sure. Sean Payton, veteran head coach, won a Super Bowl, battle-tested veteran quarterback in Russell Wilson. I think they can probably sneak into the playoffs. Your Bills probably get there, and then I don't see anybody behind the Bills getting there. The Bengals without Joe Burrow. The Raiders, they're a
0: mess. Chargers are a mess. Titans, Jets. If I was the Bengals at this point, I wouldn't be bothering to put an effort. Just your season. Yeah, you're, go get a great you, draft pick. Because if you make the playoffs, you're getting a mad draft pick, and... You're not winning any of the playoffs with Jake Browning. Yeah, go get a top 10
1: pick and have your season ready to go next year with Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, T Higgins, Joe Mixon. For
0: sure. But we can dive into that playoff race next week. Real quick, we will take a a break here. A quick word from our sponsor. Um, So go ahead, grab a snack, kick back, use the bathroom, whatever you got to do. And we'll be back with you here in just a few minutes. This episode
1: of Going Back, Back, Back is brought to you by Ruchi Heating and Cooling LLC, located in Glen Mills, Pennsylvania. For all of your heating, air conditioning, and plumbing needs, call the professionals today at 484-849-1015. Ruchi Heating and Cooling LLC, the one-stop call for your business and or home. Call them again at
0: 484-849-1015. All right, we're back with the longest 30-second minute of your life. All right, Tom, we got some fun stories, and I think it's looking like we have... uh, three or four it looks like and uh yeah we have a couple each I think you're gonna lead us off tonight I believe I took the reins in our last episode so what do you got for us Tom
2: yeah
1: again we are going to be covering stories from November 26th to December 2nd this week in sports history so we're gonna start November 30th 2005 Um, a rather shocking trade happened the Boston Bruins traded their captain and star center Joe Thornton it's not every day you see a captain of a team trade a mid-season um he was traded to the San Jose Sharks for Ford's Wayne Primo, Marcus Strom, and defenseman Brad
0: Stewart. Which is not a not a bad return. Like Those are three pretty good players, but they're not Jeff Horton.
1: No, and so that gets me to where I was going to go eventually, but we'll get there now. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, all good. So this trade was actually viewed as Boston being ripped off and trading their star player for pennies on the dollar. I mean, those three guys are like average NHL players. Sure. Didn't have great NHL careers, but they were see, deemed good enough to make a trade for, I guess with the Boston Bruins. So both teams actually started that season off poorly and they wanted to shake things up. What's a better way than to shake up the landscape of the NHL world, trading one of the best players in the league at that time. So Joe Thornton, he had 33 points in the first 23 games that season and was off to a towards start coming out of the NHL lockout. He had also just signed a three year, $20 million contract thinking he would be around long-term with Boston. That clearly wasn't the case. So he went on to score 92 points in just 58 games with the Sharks the rest of the year and would go on to win MVP
0: of the league. I mean definitely they I would say they did get ripped off long term but I mean whoever was in charge and made that trade should have lost their job because Yeah, I think it was Peter Torelli. You're trying to you're trying to give your team a boost and you trade your best player? That's that's not going to be nobody's going to be happy about that. No, who would be? I mean
1: and I think I brought this up a couple weeks ago on a episode i said we did it we did talk about the jumbo
0: joe trade at one point recently
1: well i think i brought it up because he was he's the only player to play in both leagues in the same season and then win mvp that year yes that was a one of your fun facts i believe of the uh it somehow came up i don't remember if it was a fun fact or not Who to start the they're show, all fun but facts yeah it's all great it's all it's all we do fun of, facts yeah that's why we sit here and talk sports for an hour
0: and <laughs> we're glad that you enjoy listening to us for sure what do you got for me, Brian? All right, Tom, I'm going to go 110 years before your story, taking it back to November 28th, 1895. We're going way back, back. Way, yeah, truly going back, back, back. You went going back. We got the, all three backs here. Um, so, America's first auto race was organized by the Chicago Times Herald, the newspaper. So, the race was the, uh, Chicago, ended up being Chicago to Evanston, Illinois, and back. 55 miles round trip, six cars. Uh, so, Frank Duria won the race. Uh, beating out the five other drivers, averaging seven miles per hour. Man, I can run that fast. It was. It took them almost about eight, almost nine, eight, nine hours to make the trip there and back <laughs> the whole 55 miles. You could do that realistically in about an hour these days I, uh, with I no I think I ride a bike beating those guys. So it's funny because um, this was America's first auto race. Um, it, it, and it happened at a time where cars were really not common still. And all of the uh, horseless carriages, as they were known, uh, were built by hand. And so, initially, the plan was to race from Chicago to Milwaukee in July. It would have been a pretty decent distance and an excellent time of year uh, for outdoor pursuits. Um, so, the first speed bump became that the two cities, did, uh, the road between the cities was not up for the challenge. The cars just really were not going be able to make it. They were not built for any kind of, um, anything beyond decent roads. Uh, The race also ended up being delayed. They were ready to go on November 2nd, 1895. They had 83 cars entered at the time. Uh, uh, Somehow only six made it to the starting line. Uh, Most entrants simply hadn't finished building their cars in time um, because that's what most of them were doing. Uh, Others were stopped by police in Chicago as you technically legally could not drive an automobile in Chicago at the time. And so the solution was to get horses and to tow them the rest of the way so i'm sure that went over well yeah yeah so actually because of this the organizers were sorting out spent the next few weeks sorting out legal issues leading up to the race and this actually led to another major milestone which of which was the legal introduction of automobiles to the sh- streets of chicago so um race day november 28th was thanksgiving day in 1895 and it was typical chicago weather 30 uh 30 degrees snow drifts muddy roads Definitely not an easy drive for the uh, self propelling road carriages of the time. Sounds like our commute to work this morning. Oh, God, yeah, we did get our first snow of the year here in the area. Granted, We've had very little snow the past few years. I'm hoping for a good winter. You know, I want a good winter, but not that good because I do commute about 25 miles and I'm not trying to,
1: <laughs> to do that in the snow. Well, Brian, that is the joy of working
0: from home in this day and age. Hopefully your company allows they that. They do in certain weather, but we, I'll keep that off the air. Uh, um, so... The race was not going to be postponed again. They decided that, despite the conditions and the small starting lineup, the race was on. And for most of them, honestly, it did not last all that long. Um, One of the guys, one of the the racers, was actually really ahead of their time, driving a two uh, electric powered two wheeler. Unfortunately, it was so cold that the uh, did not agree with its battery. it was out of the race pretty quick. Yeah, in eighteen ninety five, early on, Tesla. Uh, Another entrance. Another entrant was driving a Benz, a predecessor of today's Mercedes-Benz. Uh, didn't make it very far either, but it did accomplish some, uh, a significant milestone as it was part of America's first automobile crash when it ran into a horse. Ah, geez. So in the end, only two cars actually made it over the finish line. Uh, first was the entry from Duria Motor Wagon Company. Duria, I find it be interesting. Abby, My wife Abby has cousins uh, with the same last name. be interested to see if there's any relation. The, uh, they were the only, it was the only American-made gas-powered vehicle in the lineup. Um, definitely not a smooth ride. The steering arm of the car broke after the car hit a rut. Required repair by a blacksmith. <laughs> um, so, And then one of the two cylinders in the two-cylinder engine stopped firing at one point. But the builder of the car, J. Frank Dury, eventually made it over the finish line in a time of 10 hours and 23 minutes. Um, if you drive the regular road speeds between the two now, you can make it in just over an hour. Um, so then 90 minutes after the, after Frank Duria finished, the second driver pulled in, um, though not with actually not the second driver, the second car, they did have to switch drivers. Um, he had the first driver actually passed out due to exhaustion and presumably stress.
1: Yeah. I mean, if I was in the car for 10 hours, I'd want to get out and have someone drive it too.
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, in the end, as much as it sounds like it was a bit of a train wreck, this was actually considered to be a huge success across the country. Um, People thought it was really exciting that they were doing this, and it was really what helped usher in the age of the automobile here in America. So that was the first auto race in the United States.
1: Now we get NASCAR and they got
0: FF,
1: uh, F1 Oh Las yeah. Las Vegas around like the Las Vegas strip. I
0: heard that didn't do too well though. No, because they uh I guess they installed a manhole of some sort right in the middle of the of the strip, which when you're ripping down two hundred miles an hour, you can't have something popping off and it popped off. I don't think anyone got hurt in it, but I mean that's uh yeah, it's not ideal. The most I knew about the race was there happened to be a
1: Netflix, they did their first live sporting event a couple weeks ago. Where they had four of the F1 drivers pair up with four PGA Tour players, and did a like um, more or less a match, eight of them. So oh yeah, I heard uh, about
0: this. I mean, it was
1: it was okay. It was under the. It eventually became under the lights in uh, Las Vegas out there. The first hole, it was like everybody hits the ball at the same time, and then you run over to your cart and race down to the hole, and first team to knock in the putt. Uh, so that's like a true
0: like a scramble. <laughs> so that one was
1: yeah, and you you got to play whatever shot you sure. wanted. And, like, they should, I feel like they should have done more stuff with that. But, like, the broadcast overall was very, like, choppy. There was a lot of feedback on the mics from, like, the people hosting it.
0: And yeah, they don't have us running their uh, their audio. No,
1: they need a Rodecaster Pro. I don't know what they were thinking.
0: <laughs> a couple of sure microphones. Yeah.
1: I mean, you got your setup and you're good to go. Sure. We don't have any feedback it's here. probably
0: a little more complex doing a live sporting event. But, hey. I would think so. We can figure it yet. out, though. <laughs> Call a little local high school game or something. Yeah, that'd be fun cool, actually.
1: Basketball, baseball. I mean, we could do football, actually, too.
0: Whatever. One of my coworkers is actually the uh, play-by-play announcer for the Philadelphia Phoenix of the American Ultimate Disc League.
1: I was going to say one of my former high school um, classmates, he is now the play-by-play for the uh, Marple Newtown football football games, varsity. See, I
0: think that'd be kind of cool. i love to something like that.
1: So, I mean, how far we've come between seven
0: miles an hour around the track to 200 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah you could walk you could walk there almost as fast i mean not really seven, seven is a solid yeah light run. jog
2: light jog, light jog. There. yeah light jog will do it
1: i mean i think i can run faster than seven miles an hour i know michael scott running 23 miles an hour past the has a speed trap but I feel <laughs> wait, like I wait, can get wasn't
0: it uh wasn't it 31 yeah it was something Thir- outrageous because i remember 31 31 i got 31 it's just like
1: oh nah, the fastest guy's running like 22 miles god i know it's a scripted
0: show but dude it's, it's <laughs> so freaking funny uh, so apparently funny. they're trying to remake that no like bring it back out. Nope, please bring no it back.
1: please don't please I
0: don't please don't think, it never never goes well
1: unless it's like the same exact cast and the same writers, I could be about it, but if you're gonna have like different cast members, like someone different playing Michael
0: Scott, yeah, which I mean they already tried to kind of do that with season nine, with uh, yeah, season eight and nine with like Robert California, Plop and, and Pete Andy and, Bernard, and 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 Andy, yeah, all the all those guys, and yeah, uh, not ideal, but yeah. So Tom and I are both huge fans of The Office. I uh, haven't really discussed that one on here at all, but. Yeah, it's very fitting. I'm, neither of us are running 31 or 23 or whatever he was running. You know, he is a superhuman, so.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue with those results. <laughs> really
0: cool. All right, Tom, where are you taking us?
1: All right, so it pains me that we're somehow going with another Boston Bruins fact, but you know, unfortunately this week there wasn't a lot of, like, great sports stories out there. I feel like there was a lot of Canadian Football League stories, which I don't know about you, Brian, but I don't care. not about cricket,
0: I, too, and you know, I don't
1: hear about know Canadian a whole lot about cricket. So or Canadian <laughs> <laughs> football. Yeah. 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 Not my forte. No, so me neither. I was about to sneeze, but it didn't happen. It's about to happen now.
0: Yeah, so while Tom's sneezing, uh this episode is brought to you. I'm just kidding, be good.
1: December first, nineteen twenty four. <laughs> the Bruins. They play the first game in the United States facing the Montreal Canadiens. and um, the Bruins won this game by a score of two to one. As for the game itself, it was a thriller that had the crowd on the edge thanks to the robust hitting and the fact that this new franchise held its own. Uh so the Maroons which was also what the Canadians were known for before, took the lead midway through the first period before the Bruins, with a heavier, more aggressive squad, took command in the middle period. Uh, Boston forward Smokey Harris, that's a cool name, tied the game on a pass from Carson Cooper and in the same period. Cooper then potted the second goal, which turned out to be the game-winning goal. The Bruins held on for that 2-1 win and established an intimidating image that would be the team's template for decades in the future. So the Boston Post, their headline after the game, said, Ruins better and roughhouse game. Players constantly put off for roughing it. A few players were accused of actually using football tactics. So a writer in the Boston Herald, Stanley Woodward, appreciated what he termed a fast rough game with surprisingly rugged body checks and two near fights. On the other hand, a somewhat dubious John Hallahan of the Boston Globe raised a compelling question that merited an eight-column headline. It is hard to say just how well professional hockey will go in this city. I mean, it's. Which is quite ironic because I feel like the Bruins have one of the more loyal fan bases and have been around for
0: approaching 100, just on 100 years at this point. They're an original six. And actually, in the conversation of original six, something we had discussed, and I got to correct you, Tom, because you mentioned the Canadians and the Maroons saying they were the same franchise. They were not. The Maroons actually were the Montreal team for the English speaking portion of Montreal. The Canadians Ah. were represented the French Canadian side of things. Obviously, long term, the Canadians did win out. But those are two of the original six and was part of that discussion we had a few weeks back, which clearly you weren't listening and we can't be doing this, Tom.
1: No, I remember talking about <laughs> that.
0: But this, I
1: don't know, I just grabbed this from the I'm NHL's just, website. I'm and
0: largely playing with you. I um, messed up. That's on me. They, they may have merged or something at the time, but I just know at the time they were, um, they were separate entities. I just want to throw that in there. Uh, for continuity's sake. Yeah, it's a good history lesson for us, too. And make sure True. you're all paying attention as well. Yeah, pay attention because I'll come for you. I'll have questions. If you don't know the answers, you're not listening. We'll provide you the answers if you don't know it. All right. And actually, surprisingly enough, three we have, of the four stories, we have three of them today involve firsts. This is the first time something happened. So following up on yours... I somehow ended up in the 1870s yet again, this time November, or the 1800s again, this time being November 30th, 1872. We're going way back, back, back. uh, Yes, back, 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 23 years before my last story, back, back. yes, 151 years ago, the first international soccer game took place. Um, and by international soccer game we'll get into that in just a second so scotland came to a zero zero draw with england what in a Glasgow. yes uh one of the pe- reasons a lot of people don't love soccer is that you can end in a tie which i do definitely get nobody loves the ties we mentioned before it's like kissing your sister especially when it's zero zero yeah zero zero and that's a large part of soccer but um with that going on you know it actually was not considered a failure by any means so Leading into this, um, England and Scotland had met in four previous matchups, although neither were officially international soccer games or national teams. Um, Really, These were club teams representing their countries each time. So most of the players representing Scotland in these initial games were not even based in Scotland, um, largely living in the London area. I mean, if you're familiar with the geography of London, of England, Scotland, the British Isles as a whole, it's all pretty close together. Um, but obviously they're very proud of their heritage, very proud of where they come from. Scottish fans wanted to be represented by a team of players from living in and from Scotland. So there she was hesitance by the Scots that they could put together a proper team as they actually played soccer at the time by a different set of rules Um, at the time than their British association football counterparts. So, um, so the, yeah, association football is a phrase you may hear uh, hear when they talk about soccer or at least in the history of soccer. So there were slight rule variations, but not enough that it stopped this game from happening. So um, after all the, all was said and done, both sides put together, both countries put together a side made up of their players from their nation. Um, and so on November 30th, they met up on a pitch that was very heavy, gross wet due to the continuous rain that happened the previous three days. Um, the Scots came into the game, the smaller and lighter side and early on really managed to push their English p- counterparts hard, the English bigger, a little more lumbering at the time. Um, the Scots actually had a goal to sell out in the first half after the umpires decided that the ball had cleared the tape that was used to represent the crossbar. So there was no actual goal at the time. It was marked off, um, marked off with a, with tape, at least, uh, along a bar. There was tape that was considered the crossbar. So it was over that bar, That goal was disallowed. That sounds even more thrilling.
1: A game that usually
0: ends in 0-0 with made-up goalposts. This was 1872. You were just happy to live past the age of 35. That's Um, true. I think you'll take whatever excitement you can get. Um, Yay, soccer. (laughs) Right. Sorry, football. So the the second part of the match saw the Scots defense under pressure very heavily uh, by the bigger English forwards. Uh, the Scots played a combination, played a lineup of two fullbacks, two halfbacks, and six forwards. So, in my mind, that's two on defense, two in the middle, six up front trying to score. The English played with only one defender, one halfback, and eight forwards. Um, so, at the time, three defenders were actually required for a play to be onside. So, the English system was set up to just try to create offsides, which I don't know how that was called in the past. I don't know how it was enforced that they took you off the field and shot you. I don't know. 1872 was a way different time.
1: Yeah, man, they probably had swords and back then, like,
2: guns <laughs> well, off with there. his head. Yeah. <laughs> so Scotland breaking actually- <laughs> out the guillotine. <laughs>
0: yeah, they're just like guillotine on the sidelines. Like, Here we go, off with your head. So Scotland actually came close again to winning the to winning the match. Where towards the closing stages, a shot from Robert Lecky landed uh, on top of the tape. So although it ended scoreless it was said to be the greatest game of soccer soccer Scotland had ever seen although at that time it, it, it was only 1872 um, so it really doesn't say a whole lot about the greatest game they've ever seen it, I mean one could argue it could still be the greatest game they've ever seen it could be I mean I know over the years there's been some uh there's been s- a lot of advancements in the game I mean Scotland's still not exactly a force um, in in the sport but you know I think we actually worked in their favor although being kind of the smaller, um, smaller team in this was that they, their team was actually, they all played on the same club team as well. So these guys knew or were more familiar with each other, but it doesn't sound like at the time there was no passing in this game. So it sounds like once you got the ball, you tried to take it all the way yourself. Then they would stop you and they would run it back. There's no evidence that there was a single pass made in this game um makes sense i mean when you got eight Fords on offense just take turns running up there and try and score yeah and you know what i <laughs> i'd be curious to know what that looked like um i don't see any uh vintage soccer teams around i'm familiar with vintage baseball uh, there are there are organizations that play baseball by the rules of the 1860s Um uh, buddy of mine good buddy of mine, matt uh plays for a team down in delaware the diamond state baseball club um, and I, I've seen that I've actually I played with him. It was a lot of fun, uh, but obviously a very different game. I'm curious what this would look like. And just a fun little fact, the captain for the English team was a man by the name of Cuthbert Ottaway. Cuthbert, C-U-T-H-B-E-R-T. That just goes to the top of the baby name list. Cuthbert Gay. I'm going to write that one down. You can have it. Sounds probably sounds better than Young anyway. So that is the story of, at least part of the story, of the first international soccer game. Well,
1: Brian, you don't remember the classic nineteen eighty three game between Scotland and England? No. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> I was waiting for you to actually throw a fact at me. No, I have no game there. I don't that's a made up year, made up game. You Just got me getting to the point that eighteen seventy two is probably the most memorable game in Scotland England history.
0: Yeah, you know, it's uh I mean it's one of those things where it's like uh, an abbreviated history of the excitement or talent in the sport because i can't imagine there was a whole lot of pl- places playing soccer at the time um, It was still very new all things considered so you know you probably only had a few countries playing it at that point which i think also explains i mean in general explains why maybe we don't talk about cer- certain sports more than others like cricket super popular worldwide it's never taken off here no, I don't. I don't think it ever will because of baseball. Exton, baseball is just too popular. Exton, uh, technically, has or had a professional cricket team. Um, I would really weirdly get um, advertisements on my Facebook for Exton something or other cricket. They must be listening to the podcast somehow. Bunch of bunch of Indian Indian guys, and that seem to have legitimate experience. It seems to be like a legitimate team um but i mean, I mean it could be fun but i don't know any of the rules of cricket like we're a baseball country yeah i um i did i have learned a little bit about cricket there's a i'll have to find the youtube channel I'll, I'll plug him when i find him but there's a guy on youtube who has a whole series of videos explaining different sports and he does a very good job with it i find different unique sports to be a lot of fun um and he does a really good job of breaking them down and his cricket video is really good uh, it's how I also learned about CPAC Takra. It's a uh, volleyball with your feet. Interesting. It's pretty wild. That's a good one to check out on. Uh, check, go on YouTube. If you're, if you're listening to this, go on YouTube. Look up CPAC Takra. I I don't know how to spell it. Sounds like it'd be fun. Uh, I mean, to watch. I would never yeah. do it. These guys are like doing bicycle kicks to like spike a ball over in that. It's pretty sweet. I've definitely seen it. I would have no interest in playing because I'm not, you know, crazy. Very good with my feet playing soccer they so that's do, why i wouldn't be a they, volleyball player with they it do say white men can't jump and i think you and i are probably i pretty mean
1: cut me some slack i did dunk basketball once but yeah yeah a decade hey, ago No header. <laughs> blind squirrel yeah, on every once in a while i touched the rim once or twice i did have a witness i didn't <laughs> do it by myself <laughs> i, I know, promise god is your witness yeah it wasn't sure. god <laughs> shout out to james freshman year of college
0: uh, okay all right yeah doing hey. those squats and
1: calf raises shout out to james Thank you, James, for being my witness. Yeah. So, Brian, I know we are just talking cricket. I feel like that can kind of be a good segue into baseball here. Yeah, the sport and
0: that we do truly love here in the U.S., baseball.
1: Recap the 2023 regular season awards
0: for our beloved Major League Baseball. I think you and I got most of them right, if I recall, with our predictions. Um, but I don't recall off the top of my head now. Well, I feel like it was pretty much chalk up until manager of the year. And even so, that one, it was Schumacher, right? It was Schumacher
1: for the Marlins, Skip Schumacher. I know I was on board with Skip Schumacher. I forget what you had said, Brian. I did as well. And then Brandon Hyde of the Orioles. I think we were both on that same yeah. same boat as well.
0: I believe so. Yes.
1: To me, those were the most obvious candidates. The Marlins were a sub five hundred team the year before. They had a big turnaround. Looked like that they were going to be, you know, doing well, but they unfortunately ran into the Phillies in that wild card round and lost two nothing, which. Wasn't much of a surprise it was Phillies fans, but no, not at all. The more of a surprise uh, was it, the Phillies losing to the Diamondbacks, yeah, which that, still pains sure. me.
0: That's that hurts, yeah.
1: So, Rookie of the Year, Gunnar Henderson Cor- Corbin Carroll of the Orioles and Diamondbacks, respectively. No surprise there; they were both the odds-on favorite and proverbial winners going I mean, into that one.
0: Both are like going to are both are going to be MVP type candidates down the road. I mean, they're both they're There's a lot of really fun young talent in baseball, and these guys are leading the charge and. I'm thinking it's pretty sweet. I wish Corbin Carroll wasn't on the Diamondbacks because I would like him more
1: probably. Uh, Yeah. But he definitely has that like generational type talent. If he ever becomes available and he's still
0: playing half decent, I mean, he's the kind of guy I would love to see patrolling left field or right field for us.
1: The Diamondbacks, they don't like to spend a whole lot of money.
0: Didn't they lock him? Up, didn't they give him a decent contract though?
1: They did. They gave him like an eight-year deal, like a hundred some million, kind of like what the Braves have done with their
0: young talent. Yeah, which is you know t- easy to swallow as a as a trade candidate.
1: Yeah, or a, you know, a big roster, big payroll team like the Phillies can just be like, all right, well, we'll just take the contract on off yeah. your hands and not worry about it. Oh yeah. Now, one thing that did surprise me. Imagine this happening in Philadelphia. Let me find this. um, Stat real quick with what the Diamondbacks just released.
0: So oh, their ticket pack! I know exactly yes. where you're going.
1: Every game,
0: all season, two hundred and ninety nine dollars. I'm buying that all day,
1: and I'm, all I'm day. buying multiple.
0: Yeah, give me two. I spent. I could have bought two of those and gone to every Diamondbacks game for the entire season, for the price cost it went to go to the NLCS game too.
1: Well, I guess uh, <laughs> trading for Ingenio Suarez doesn't really drive ticket sales, on Brian?
0: I don't think it's a bad trade. I actually no, think, it, I I think it actually improves their team. Because um, yeah. I think if they did a, a weak spot on that roster, yeah, third, third base was, was a like pretty DH. big one. That was uh, what, Rivera? Well, Evan Longoria, really. Well, and then yeah. it would be Emmanuel Rivera. Dude, Evan Longoria is a crazy one, too. There was that whole stat where the like, last time he had been in the playoffs was... 2008 against the Phillies. Yeah. I think it was like the the widest gap for world series appearances from 2008
1: to 2023.
0: Yeah. He's the player. He's the last, the last player active player remaining from the 2008 world series. In the MLB
1: altogether. Yeah. Oh yeah. Makes sense because all the Phillies guys are retired. And I can't yeah. remember any of the Rays guys still being in the league, so a lot of David spe- Price would be the closest one, but I think yeah. he retired this
0: past year or just wasn't active this season. Something a lot of respect for Longoria. I feel like he's been a class act, uh, really solid player his whole career. Uh, just did it kind of quietly in smaller markets.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, he started with the Rays and went to the Giants, and now with the Diamondbacks, I don't remember him. Which,
0: I mean, San Fran's not, not like a small market per se, but, like, they don't get a ton of attention. I mean, they Which ha- is
1: crazy because they have the... Golden State Warriors right there in San Fran.
0: Yeah. But so I think you would the, think it's a big market. Honestly, I feel like though it goes – it's some combo of Warriors-Niners are the top two teams in that area and then the Giants. But I also – like, the Giants do have a loyal fan base out there. Like, you know, I'm I – mean, growing up, I mean, we, we watched some really good teams go through there, some really solid – Yeah, they won and, three World Series titles. I mean, they had one of those – the nastiest pitching rotations of all time with uh, – Yeah, Tim Lincecum, Matt Cain <laughs> – yeah. Barry uh, Zito, towards, like, the end of his career.
1: Yeah, Zito. Didn't didn't Bumgarner, Madison Bumgarner? Bumgarner, he was the one who won, then, their last World Series, being their top pitcher.
0: Yeah, but wasn't he, like, you said Matt Cain, right? Yeah, uh, I said Matt, Matt Cain. Once ago, Matt, Cain yeah, Cain, so Matt Cain. yeah, dude. They were, uh, that was a team there. That, that was a heck of a, uh, oh, one of the, uh, was it Hudson or Mulder went through there? One of the, It was Barry Zito. There was another guy that they had at one point, one of, the, like, the bigger, a bigger name. Later in his career, I know Zito because Zito went over from the A's. Um, but they, they feel like they had. Wasn't Jake Peavy there? I don't remember. What year are we thinking? 2012? One, one, yeah, 2012 would have been one of them because it was what, 12 and, four, 12 and 14? So they won 2010, 10 2012. 2012, 2014. Okay. 10, 12, 14.
1: Because 2010 is when they beat the Phillies in the NLCS. Uh, Okay. All right, let's see. Pitching staff. So that, they had Hunter Pence. They had Brad Penny. There's a name for you. Brad Penny. Um, I remember him from his Marlins
0: days. Yeah,
1: Pablo Sandoval was on that team. Yeah, Barry Zito. The Panda. Ryan
0: Vogelsong. Aaron Rowan, was he on that team?
1: Aaron Rowan?
0: Or was he a Philly at the time?
1: Wasn't he a Philly it, as well? In 2012, I think Rowan would have been out of the league at that point. Yeah, Aaron Rowan was on the Phillies from, like, 05 to
0: 07. Dude, I don't even remember. Or 04 to 06. uh, I'm good at keeping track of, like, the time and the day-to-day. My perception (laughs) of how much time has passed since back then is uh, way skewed. It's All all blurry. Let's
1: bring up his baseball reference page real quick, Aaron Rowan. I didn't see any other big names that would have been on that uh, team there. So Aaron That's Rowe was fair. on the team on the Giants from 2008 to 2011. So he would have won a World Series with them in
2: 2010.
1: What, what year were you looking at? Uh, I looked at the 2012 roster. Uh, okay. So Barry Zito was on that roster. Brad Penny was the other kind of like I guess that might guy towards yeah. the end of his career at that point. Along with Bumgarner, Lincecum, Matt Cain were all on the roster as well.
0: Okay. Yeah. Germ- Hunter Pence, Buster Posey, Oh Brian Wilson in the bullpen, Sergio Romo. That yeah, I'm looking at 2010. But yeah, Z, uh, yeah. Then you had Jonathan
1: Sanchez, Cody Ross, I think it was, who lit up the Phillies that series. For what?
0: 2012, 2010, 2010. Cody Ross, he yeah, had in the outfield. He had two outfielders on this team as well: Pat Burrell and Aaron Rowan. 2010. Yeah, I remember Burrell. I don't did not remember Aaron Rowan being on that team. That's funny. I do. That's the one I remembered. I mean, they I mean, looking in their infield, the Sandoval, Juan Uribe, Edgar Renteria. Uribe killed the Phillies that series too,
1: twenty ten. They lost in six games. I was at game six when the Giants clinched to go to the World Series. And oh was really? Philly. Oh man, that was a rough game. I mean, the oh. Phillies started up um, winning. They were winning early in the game, and I remember Chase Utley got plunked by Jonathan Sanchez in like the first or second inning, and the bench just cleared because of it. And then the whole stadium was just chanting Sanchez. And it was electric, it was awesome, but then I think Cody Ross or Juan Uribe hit a, like, a two-run homer that game, and next thing you know, the Giants are winning, and now they're celebrating on the field and going to the World Series.
0: You know who the starting catcher was on that uh, that Giants team? In
1: 2010? Yeah. Um,
0: At least to start the year. I don't. I just think it's funny that Benji, it was Benji, Benji Molina to start the year, but they had a... Young catcher by the name of Buster Posey hanging in the wings who actually ended up playing more games of catcher throughout the year than than uh, That's right. Benji, Benji. Molina did.
1: But. He was one of the three Molina brothers in the
0: league. Yeah, the fact that we at his this lineup, starting the opening day lineup for them, and then the fact that they won a World Series is well. Their opening day lineup, John Balker, never heard of him, Mark DeRosa, fine career, Aubrey Huff, fine career, Benji Molina was their cleanup hitter, Edgar Enteria in the five hole, Aaron Rowan, Jonathan Sanchez, no clue. Pablo Sandoval, Juan Uribe. Was Sanchez the pitcher? Is that who we're talking about there? No, Jonathan Sanchez was a... Yeah, was he their second baseman? Second base, yeah. That's what it's looking like. Yeah, he was a second baseman. How, he All this info on him here. Where is his position? I literally have every stat for his whole freaking career except what position he played. Um. Oh uh, no, he was no, a, he was a he was a pitcher. Freddie
1: Sanchez is a second baseman. Yeah, this this jo- uh, Jonathan Sanchez. Is this is why
0: I had it wrong. They had Jonathan instead of Freddie. Freddie's on this list too. So actually, in the end, they got the most. Ha- their their lineup that seems to have been the fi- really finalized would have included a Posey, uh, Buster Posey, Aubrey Huff, Freddie Sanchez, Pablo Sandoval, Uribe. And then Burl Roan and Sheerholz, Nate Sheerholz in the outfield. That's a, that's a much better lineup than they started the year with. Another former Philly, Nate Sheerholz. Oh, really? I didn't actually know that. He came over when we traded Hunter
1: Pence to huh. the Giants. He came over along with Tommy Joseph,
0: and I feel like there was another piece, but I'm not going to remember who that either. Third All right, piece was. Back to the baseball awards. So we knew the manager. We guessed the managers right. We got the rookies of the year right. Cy Young, we both had Garrett Cole.
1: Yeah, that was obvious. I think we both picked Blake Snell as well.
0: Yeah, Snell made sense. and then the, We didn't agree with it, but we knew it was going to nah, happen. And then the MVPs were obvious. Acuna and Otani. Yeah, so honestly, pretty uneventful, all things considered. No no surprises there, but I mean, when the best are as good as they are, it's pr- I think I mean, the Cy Young was the most debatable, I think, of the bunch. The, the NL. NL Cy Young. I don't think the AL was Garrett Cole. No. Definitely no. had the best year over there. No, the NL Cy Young for sure was the one that was – was debatable,
1: and I feel like the guy who probably had the best case for it, besides Blake Snell, was probably Spencer Strider, and he wasn't even one of the. Final, yeah, wasn't the three even on the list.
0: I don't get it; doesn't make sense. But hey, those are the baseball writers for you. Hopefully, yeah, that not, gets figured out. Yeah, not my decision to make. I um, mean, yeah, speaking of baseball writers, Tom, I know we were talking about a little bit, but I'm uh, I'm about three quarters way through the book Moneyball. Uh, very interesting because it really shows like these guys were the first ones, the A's of the time. If you've seen the movie, obviously you know more that you you know where this is going. But those are really the first guys that really took seriously these deeper stats that we see everywhere now. Um, you know, up until that point, it was all hits, runs, batting, batting average, home runs. That's all anyone cared about. Um, but those uh, those Oakland days kind of took more seriously the deeper stats, and it, it worked out for them. You know, working on a budget and all that. Uh, but really changed the game of baseball that we see now. And uh, if if nothing else, it has me really motivated to keep. Looking into some some of these books, you know, doing some more reading about the history uh, of these games that we love. Um, but it's funny because a big part of Moneyball was it was all really brought to light by baseball writers, not the newspaper guys and stuff, but by numbers guys, stats guys who just really loved to put numbers together and started put posting, you know, letters in magazines and then turn it into. There's a whole small following in Paul D. Podesta, um, you know, is the big name behind a lot of that. I just think it's. You mean Jonah Hill? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, Jonah Hill. Um, Paul D. Podesta, who now works for the freaking Browns of all teams, not even in baseball anymore. Um, His baseball track record really isn't that great beyond this contribution to the game. Uh, But it's interesting to see how, you know, in writing, learning about how the game has changed and little events that you never knew about. Yeah. I, just, I find it fascinating
1: you've been saying that this book is a great read i'm gonna to have to start i'm gonna to have to pick it up after you're done and yeah. look into it as well it's something i definitely want to get into is reading some more and hopefully in the future that's something i will start to accomplish
0: it's just a fun read i mean i i don't think you're gonna have as much uh, all too much downtime here coming up life get life's getting busy sure is <laughs> i know uh like i said i was hoping to invite you uh for those those of you listening that don't know, this is called coming Saturday is the Coatesville Christmas Parade, and yours truly has been asked to be the wrangler/slash handler/slash driver for none other than one of the biggest celebrities in Philadelphia, the Philly fanatic. Uh, I get to spend a few hours with the big green, uh, the big green bird Yeah, the big thing. green guy. The big green guy, and that's gonna be a lot of fun. I wanted to bring you out, but you know, life gets in the way. Um, so that's gonna be a lot of fun. Uh, ch- I'll check out the uh, socials for that. I might throw a little something up there if I can get a good shot of the uh, of the fanatic in action. But I'm sure it's gonna be chaotic. I'm sure he'll be able to though. He's like a big green toddler, so it's gonna be very interesting to see what I can do. Uh, You'll enjoy yourself line. if he doesn't try to hijack the golf cart. We're gonna be cruising around, and we'll be all right.
1: I'm sure he'll try and get on top of it and stand on or do something. Oh yeah, wild, he'll be so he'll be riding on the he'll
0: be riding on the back of it for as far as I've been told. Uh, so that'll be cool if you're out there. Uh, if you heard you got nothing going on Saturday morning December 2nd come check out the coastal Christmas parade from the southeast PA area. See your boy hanging out with the fanatic, uh, a lot of fun uh, floats and floats and activities, church choirs, uh local politicians, local celebrities. You name it, they'll have it. Oh yeah, the Eagles uh pep, the Eagles pep band and the 70 Sixers, the Sixers, they're uh 76ers. No, the Sixers. They're uh
1: the 70 Stinkers.
0: Whoever it is, their uh, their drum line or whatever is gonna be out there as well. So that's gonna be a good time. But I'm just excited to do a, get some one-on so get to get some FaceTime with the the man, the myth, the legend, the uh, the fanatic. Yeah, you'll get to meet the people of Coatesville. So I'm sure you will have a great time. I'm not even worried about them as much. I just want to <laughs> hang out with the fanatic. Just kidding. Looking forward to it. But Tom, you got anything to add for us before we uh, we sign off here for the uh, for the for the day for the no, show. just a
1: recap from last episode. So if you did not know that movie quote, that was from Rush Hour. Rush Hour. Uh, English? Do you speak it?
0: Do you understand the words coming you out of my mouth? Words coming out of my mouth. That's a great movie. Super funny. So,
1: with that said, make sure you follow us on social media at Going Back Pod. You can catch us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That's about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not That's super we're active, active at the moment, but
0: hit us up, interact with us. We definitely, uh, we definitely love to hear from you guys and love to get your feedback um we do this because we have fun doing it but you know there's somebody out there so a few of you who enjoy hearing the content as well we appreciate you so let us know what you want to hear got any good ideas i know my dad has sent me a few stories that he thinks would be fun for us to cover um so yeah feel free you know we love, we'd love to hear from you and uh yeah
1: you know. before we get out of here brian not a movie quote but for all of you guys who like to dabble in college basketball betting good teams win great teams cover catch you next week see ya